0: Hello, I'm Paula James, exploring the classical world. I shall be taking a closer look at Catullus. During our discussions, you'll hear readings in Latin by Martin Thorpe and in English translation by Leighton Pugh. To get an idea about combining emotional response to Catullus's poetry with a learned look at how the poetry works, how it was received in its own day, and what it tells us about the poet's world... We went to Reading to record an interview with OU PhD student Kate Hammond. Kate handed over her babies, twin girls, to her husband David and talked to us about her personal and academic relationship with Catullus. I began by asking Kate to tell us about her personal journey in Catullan studies over the years and how her acquaintance with the poet started.
1: Well, I've been studying Catullus all my life, really. It started with O and A levels back at school when I read the love poetry and the occasional poems. Those are poems which aren't necessarily about love, but little things like the death of his girlfriend's pet sparrow. He tries to cheer her up in this rather endearing little funeral elegy and other poems, but mostly the poems about love for lesbia.
0: They have stood the test of time, haven't they? For example, Let Us Live and Let Us
2: Love... Vivamos, mea lesbia, adquamemus. Rumores ques senum severiorum omnes unios estimemus assis. Soleis occedere et redire possunt. Nobis, cum semelocedet brevis lux, nox perpetuo una dormienda. Dami basia miled. Den de DICENTUM, dein mil altera, dein secunda centum, dein disqualtera mille, dein decentum, dein cum milia multa fecerimus, conturbabimus ne sciamus, aut nequis malos in videre possit, cum tantum sciat esse BASIORUM.
3: My Lesbia, let us live and love and not care tuppence for old men who sermonize and disapprove. Suns when they sink and rise again, but we, when our brief light has shone, must sleep the long night on and on. Kiss me, a thousand kisses, then a hundred more, and now a second thousand and hundred, and now still hundreds and thousands more, until the thousand thousands can't be reckoned, and we've lost track of the amount, and nobody can work us ill with the evil eye by keeping count."
1: At that point, I was taking very much a formalist approach, and I suppose I'd define that as studying literature very much for its own sake, using the poem itself and not really going beyond it. I was happy to read poems just as love poems, without really knowing much of the context.
0: And Catullus is a rich source here. For instance, the kisses which appear in "Let Us Live and Let Us Love" are taken up in poem seven.
2: Quaris quot me habes artiones satis superque? quam magnos numeros libisare e nai la sa pique curenis oraclum yoes in stuosi et batti wetteris sacrum sepulcrum aut quam se cum tacet nox furtivos omenum wident amores tam te basia multa basiare, sano satis et supercatulast, quae nec pernumerare curiosi possint, nec malafascinare lingua.
3: How many kisses satisfy? How many are enough and more, you ask me, Lesbia? I reply as many as the Libyan sands sprinkling the Cyrenaic shore where Silphium grows, between the places where old King Battus' tomb stands, and Jupiter Ammon has his shrine in Siwa's sweltering oasis. As many as the stars above that in the dead of midnight shine upon men's secretes of love. When he has all those kisses, mad-hungry Catullus will have had enough to slake his appetite. So many that sharp eyes can't tell the number, and the tongues of spite are too confused to form a spell.
0: There's another poem which concentrates on kisses, which appears very romantic to the modern reader.
1: Yes, they're often read as a pair, aren't they, those two, Poem 5 and Poem 7? Both of them, I think, I mean, at this point, I'd be thinking about the challenges they were making to the standard Roman viewpoint of what life should be about. Life for them was meant to be about duty to your country. And here you've got Catullus. He's got lack of respect for age. He talks about severe old men. He wants love, not duty. And it's a pretty decadent lifestyle he's describing, kissing all the time, not going off and doing military exploits for your country. And it's the style of the relationship as well. I mean, a Roman man was just meant to have sex and move on, really, with a woman. But this is reciprocal affection. He's talking about kisses and a life together, loving each other. So completely different, really, to anything I'd read before in Latin. And then as well, it's, it's not a gather ye rosebuds while ye may poem, sort of an unwilling virgin having to be wooed over quickly. It's much more of a long-term idea. He wants our brief lives to be in the way we want them, not how other people say, not what tradition dictates to us.
0: It seems to me you were already putting the poems in a context or at least contrasting what they might mean to us now, what they meant in the Roman context, in fact. So things were changing. Your academic relationship with Catullus seemed to be progressing as you studied the poet
1: at university. Yes, I mean, obviously I was still very keen on the love side. As an 18 to 21-year-old, I was actually, you know, sometimes adapting his poems myself for my own poetry. I mean, a one-sided love affair is ideal for a student, isn't it? You know, unrequited love. Even in Poem 5, you can almost hear Lesbia saying, ''How many kisses do you want?'' She's very much the person who's ruling it, but he's driving the relationship. And then for me as a woman, Catullus actually often takes the woman's side. So it's absolutely perfect for me to use in my own poetry because he adopts the female role. Poem 11, which I just paraphrased the last verse, he says, desperately sad, last few lines, "'Don't look back to my love as you did before. "'That's fallen through your fault.'" just like a flower at the edge of a field after it's been touched by a plough running over it. I mean, what an image of him as a flower cut down by this female plough, which, of course, is a male metaphor, really, but he's reversed them. So very interesting. There seems to be an awful lot there, as you say, the sexual metaphor of
0: ploughing is the metaphor that one attaches to the male he's the plough ploughing the field of the woman but also it has almost a a tragic timbre to me because this is a very epic simile which we've met when looking at the works of Homer about the hero cut down in his prime by the plough when he's been slaughtered by his opponent
1: in the Trojan War so there's plenty
0: going on here.
1: Yes and I think that's the thing once you get to university you read so much more and I mean, I started to go beyond my Fordyce edition, which I had at school and at university. But even then, I remember if we had a poem to study, which was not in the Fordyce text, we didn't have another text to read. We had a photocopy of something, no commentary. I mean, this is the late 80s I'm talking about. So. You really didn't get to see some of Catullus, but this is when I did. And these were poems on Caesar, Caelius, Memora, Memmius, Vitinius, Clodius, key names of the Republic of Rome. And suddenly these were beginning open to me because these were the, the naughty poems that I wasn't allowed to read earlier. And these were the poems with, at university I could study much more in context because I knew a bit more about Republican Rome to fit them in. And I also wanted to know about that woman, this lesbian woman. What sort of a woman lies behind that mask? Now, at the same time as I'm reading Catullus, I'm also now at university reading lots of other things, including some speeches of Cicero. And one of those is the pro Cailio, the defence of Cailius. And this is really interesting because it has a character assassination, really wicked of Cicero, but brilliant to read, of a sister of Clodius. Now, she's the wife of Metellus Keller, the consul of 60. So this could be Catullus's girlfriend. And we've got a whole speech of Cicero talking about her. There's two other sisters it could possibly be. But really, this one does fit best. And then I started to think, well, what's Catullus doing going out with the sister of Clodius And more to the point, what's she doing going out with him? She's the Jackie Kennedy, or the Hillary Clinton even, of her day. And what's she seeing in Catullus? Yes, what might someone like Catullus
0: have to offer Claudia? Do we really know anything about Catullus as a person?
1: And his status, perhaps, to answer such a question? It's all tantalising with Catullus. We've got a few facts He tells us in his poems that he comes from Cisalpine Gaul. He tells us about a coming-of-age ceremony, and this means he must be a Roman citizen, even though Cisalpine Gaul didn't have citizenship at this time. It was a province. He tells us he doesn't really have much money. He talks about his purse being full of cobwebs, but we really have to take this as comparative poverty. He is one of the elite. He's got a lot of assets, possibly short of cash, but his family really are very wealthy. We know this as well because Caesar was dining regularly with his father, presumably back in Cisalpine Gaul, where Caesar had been governor. All his friends were of the elite and his education included rhetoric and he shows in his poems that he has an intimate knowledge of Greek literature. That's not a cheap education that he's had. He also tells us that he comes back from Bithynia on a sort of grand tour of all the Asian towns and all this at his own expense. That wouldn't have been cheap either.
0: Can I pick up on this fact about uh, Cisalpine Gaul? You've mentioned it's a province, it doesn't have citizenship, but there seem to be plenty of citizens around. It's called Gallia Tagata because of the number of them. So it has colonies and, and the elite presumably have citizenship. I know this is a complicated area and that Colin Andrews has raised some of these things in his block, but perhaps you could explain further, Kate?
1: Yes, well, he mentions Verona itself as a colony, so we know his hometown had citizenship for its elite, at least for the magistrates. In some of the essays in the course, the things like the voting assemblies, we've gone through the different voting assemblies, and one of them is where the rural tribes would have voted. Cisalpine magistrates would have been entered into those 31 rural tribes. And if you've got some impact on a rural tribe, you can have an impact in Rome. And the fact that Catullus's family has the major status symbol, the biggest villa in Cisalpine Gaul, means that he must have had quite a lot of impact on whichever rural tribe those magistrates were enrolled into. We also know his family was senatorial by the time of Augustus and consular under Tiberius, so there was clearly money enough there to support a political career.
0: Now this is interesting because Catullus wasn't holding political office, and there we are characterising him very much as somebody who wrote love poetry and was a man of leisure rather than a man of of labour or duty. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about what Catullus might have been doing? Is he
1: networking? Yes, and we have to remember Catullus is only young at this point. We don't know precisely how young because his dates aren't certain. But he's doing all the right things for a young political man. He's getting a name for himself, as you're mentioning, through his poetry. And he tells us in his poems that he went on a tour of duty with a governor. And perhaps if he had not died young, as we know, he could have gone on for office. We have to remember he's a new man, a novus homo. And he wouldn't necessarily have got office at the earliest point. Now, since Sulla, we know that 30 years of age was the youngest when you could go for your first quaestorship, your first office. So really, we don't expect him to be holding office at this point. It's really, as you say, networking. And here he is making key links with major families in Rome, the Clodii, the Metelli, or at least until things went wrong and Clodia chose Caelius instead. So we can construct
0: Catullus and his love life to a certain extent, we think, from the poetry. We can also start constructing a Catullus who networks, who has a public life, who has political aspirations from poems as well.
2: Quarus me meus ad suos amores visum duxerate foro tiosum? Scortillo ut tum repente visumst, non sane lepidum nequin venustum. Hucot venimus in nobis sermone is vale, inquibus quid eset iambi itinia, quom et quonam am hi profuiset aere? Respondid quod erat, Nihil ne quipsis, nec, nec praetoribus esse, nec horti quod quisquam capodunctios referet, praesertim quibus eset irrumato praitor, nec faceret pili cahortem. At certe, tamen inquiant, quod illic natum dicitur comparast adlecticom in Agot puella unum me facerem beati orem, non inquam hitam fuit maligne, ut provincia cord male incidiset, non pos oct parare rectos At mi nullus erat, nec nequilic fractum qui veteris pedem grabati in collo sibi collocare posset. Hic ill, decuit de orem, quaisu inquit mihi mi catulle paulum istos comoda, then volad serapim de ferri. Mane inqui Puellae, istud quod moda bere fugit mei ratio. Eus sodalis, kenast Gaios Gaius, sibi parawit, ru Trilius an mei quid ad mei. tam benequam mihi pararim so tinsulsam male et molesta vives perquam non licit esse negligentem.
3: I was in the Forum once at a loose end, when I was seized and hauled off by my friend Varus to meet his girl, a prostitute, I thought at the first glance, but rather cute, in fact quite pretty. Soon talk started flowing on various topics, then, uh, how are things going in the province of Bithynia these days? Is it prospering? Are you richer for your visit? I told the simple truth that no one there can line his pocket or perfume his hair. That goes for natives, governors and staff too, especially if you're in the retinue of some mean sod who doesn't give a thought to his employees. But at least you brought the local product back, they said. A litter with litter men?' I, trying hard to glitter in the girl's eyes, said, "Oh, "'Things weren't so bad, despite the rotten province that I had, "'that I can't call my own eight sturdy-backed good litter men.' "'I hadn't one, in fact, there or in Rome, "'on whom I could rely to hoist a broken bed-leg shoulder high.' "'At which the girl, just like a cheeky tart, said, "'Dear Catullus, could you bear to part for an hour with them?' "'I only want to ride to the Temple of Serapis.' Uh, "'Steady,' I cried. I-, "'I meant to say, well, uh, strictly, "'I was wrong to call them my slaves. "'Actually, they belong to uh, a friend of mine "'who purchased them, that is, to Gaius Sinna. <laughs> "'Anyway, mine or his, it's all the same to me. "'I have the loan. "'I use them just as though they were my own. "'But you're a tactless nuisance.' It's absurd to take a man upon a casual word.
0: How much can we accept this as fact? How much of Catullus's poetry can we take literally when he's talking about his political
1: life? We have to be very careful. Clearly it's poetry, and we can't take poetry as fact. It's not biography. I mean, Catullus can write about a dinner party, but that doesn't mean at all that one ever took place. But there's a difference when he writes as himself, as I, when he talks about I, Catullus, and he addresses himself in the third person as Catullus. Now, that's slightly different from creating a persona. What Catullus does that's different is it's actually Catullus who's speaking. He addresses himself Catullus, stop loving Catullus. And that's the difference. And nobody had done that before as far as I can find anyway. The other way of looking at it is to look at how the ancients themselves read. And what's very clear there is if a poet speaks as I, they thought it meant the poet. So they didn't read it as a persona. And so if that's what the ancient critics did, that's what I think Catullus would have been expecting his reader to do. So if the ancient critics reconstructed biography from poems, that's what Catullus would expect his reader to do. And I think that's what we can do to a certain extent, obviously, with many caveats.
0: I know this is quite a controversial area and that you're writing about it in your thesis, Kate, about the identity of the poet on the page or on the papyrus and the poet as a real historical person. Catullus's contemporary readership, or at least some of them and some of his audience, might know quite a lot about the real man, the historical figure
1: Catullus. Yes, that's the fact that we often forget, isn't it? That his friends know what's actually going on. They know the truth behind the poems. And if he's just broken up with Clodia, they'd know about it. And these are the people he's actually writing for, isn't he?
0: But also people who weren't such good friends of Catullus would be receiving these poems,
1: wouldn't they? Yes, he mentions Achilles as a rival in poem fifty eight. And that's a particularly interesting poem because that Cailius could possibly be Cailius Rufus, the Caelius Rufus we know about from Cicero's Pro Cailio.
2: Caeli, lesbia nostra, lesbia illa ella lesbia, quam catullus unam plus quam seat qui suos amavit omnes, nunc in quadriviis et angeportis glubit magnanimi remi nepotes.
3: The Lesbia Cailius whom in other days Catullus loved, his great and only love, my Lesbia, the girl I put above my own self and my nearest, dearest ones, now hangs about crossroads and alleyways, milking the cocks of mighty Remus sons. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.